Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. That's what I like. All right. From well, I'd just like to say a big thank you to everybody today, because you've helped me a lot, because uh, I, I was going on holiday last week, which I knew about, so I decided to look in the book we're going through, and uh, I read the chapter and thought, hmm, I know what I can do at the end, and then when it came to writing it, my printer ran out of ink. And when I went on holiday, I forgot my books, so I had two days to do this. So, uh, so I know what I'm doing at the end. That's about all I know. Um, but everything that I want to, to do, you've said. I mean, I don't really. I know we're married in that. I don't really talk to Heather about what we're doing in the service. So she goes into her room and plans her worship, and I go into my room and I write my sermon. But all her songs has everything to do with what I want to speak about today. All the things that Sue said about why she wants to be a member was relevant for what I want to say today. And uh, what Moena said about mountains and being equipped is all to do with what I want to say today. So I want to say a big thank you to all of you for just being prepared for me. So thank you for that. And uh, it my job a lot easier. And I'm feeling encouraged because I thought, oh no, it's going to be awful. Anyway... Um, Welcome to Sue for being a member, which is brilliant. And uh, her first job is uh, to come up the front here and do the reading. It's uh, Nehemiah. Actually, I didn't know she was becoming a member, so I asked her before she was a member. So don't just think I'm not going to member because of this. It's uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to chapter 2, verse 8. Brilliant. That's it. Thank you very much. Excellent. Should we pray? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive today. And I thank you, Lord, that it means so much. And you speak to us mightily through your word. I pray, Lord, that you'll use me. You'll use my words to inspire us, to encourage us, and to actually take into action what your words are actually saying. Help me to remain calm, Lord, I pray. And also, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that... Um, You'll speak to us. We ask that your presence will be here and you'll, we'll feel you, hear you, and you'll touch each and every one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. About 141 years before all those events happened that Sue just read about, the Israelites that lived in Jerusalem lived quite happily together. They would have believed in the existence of God, but... They enjoyed living their lives as they enjoyed living their lives, not as God wanted them to live their lives. Oh, they knew that God was a God of love. That is all um, loving and uh, compassionate, and he was full of grace. But that was just it. Because of that, they thought whatever they did, however they did it, God would just bless them. Basically, they thought that God's grace was somewhere for them to just wipe their feet. Yes, God is a God of love, 
but he's also a God to be feared. And because of that, God was angry with his people of Israel. Because of the way that they worshipped him, or should I say the way they didn't worship him. Yes, on the Sabbath they'd come together and they'd sing their great praises to God. They'd jump around and wave their arms in the air. But that isn't the be-all and end-all of worship. The Bible tells us time and time again that real worship is being obedient to God. We can come to church on a Sunday, every Sunday. We can jump around, we can prophesy and speak in tongues, we can pray for one another. But that is not worship if for the rest of the week we have no time for God. When we read such books like Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, we can think, oh, it's a really encouraging prophet, he is. And he is an encouraging prophet. But one of the very first words that he prophesies is the word angry. And if you look in Zechariah chapter 1 verse 2, um, he says this, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. It was because God was angry with his people of Israel that he allowed the Babylonians to march in and to humiliate those Israelites by taking them into captivity to Babylon. If we ever get a rose-tinted view of God where we think God's so nice and cute and cuddly, then we'll have a wrong view of God. We need to remember that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of God. And we need to always remember that. Sadly, the Israelites forgot that. And because of that, God allowed the Babylonians to march into Jerusalem, to smash down those walls, to burn the gates, to demolish the temple, and to take away many into captivity, to slavery, into Babylon leaving a rag bag of unwanted people in a city that was ruined. A city where its gates had been burnt down, where its church was broken, where God had become a laughingstock to the nations. Then 141 years later, we meet Nehemiah over in Babylon. This guy had two great passions. One, he was passionate about God and he was passionate about Jerusalem. Nehemiah longed for God to once again show his power in his nation. He longed for God to show his power so that the Israelites, God's people, would come back to God and worship him again with great zeal. And he longed for the day when once again the nations of the world would look at God with awe. Nehemiah knew God and he knew that God was not just a God of vengeance, but he was a God that kept his promises. That's why he was able to address God as the one who keeps his promise to those who love him and keep his commandments. Yes, God does get angry, but he's also made a contract of love to his people. He has made a pledge to his chosen and he has determined a future for those who love him. But how on earth was Nehemiah able to do anything? Okay, it's great to be passionate about things. It really is great to be passionate about lots of things. But what are you going to do about it if you've got all this passion? That's the main question. 
Nehemiah was hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. And no doubt he'd never even set foot or visited Jerusalem in his life. Can you imagine that although he longed for those walls of Jerusalem to be once again rebuilt, he must have still had doubting voices in his head coming from all directions. I mean, there was nothing he could do. Well, what could he do? Was it worth even attempting to do anything? And anyway, who did he think he was trying to rebuild these walls of Jericho? Jerusalem had always laid in ruins. Well, it had for the last 141 years. And there'd been several attempts to rebuild those walls, but they'd all ended in failure. And what about the other Israelites? Those are in captivity in Babylon. Well, they might have moaned about their situation and not liked it and grumbled a lot. But actually, to be honest, they were quite comfortable where they were. And as for those Israelites that lived in the ruins of Jerusalem, well, to be honest, they were basically ruins themselves. They lived in fear. They had no defense against their enemies. The church had been crushed. And as a result, Jerusalem and God were scoffed at. So what on earth could Nehemiah do? He needed a plan of action. But in order to make a plan of action, he needed to visit Jerusalem to see how the walls were ruined. So he knew how to rebuild them, how to repair them, what needed repairing. But then again, he had a full-time job. He had great responsibilities. He was an important guy. And he couldn't just drop everything just to go off. And anyway, his boss... He didn't believe in God. And he wouldn't understand if he said, well, I need time off because God's told me to. He wouldn't understand. And and after all, why should the king of Babylon allow him to go to rebuild the walls that this king's great-grandfather had demolished himself? So he did the only thing that he could do. Pray. So I want us to look briefly at the structure of his prayer. In verse 5 of uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, we read that Nehemiah, first thing he did, that he praised God. He praised Him. I don't know about you, but um, I've been to several prayer meetings and uh, the person who's leading the prayer meeting will sometimes say, okay, we're going to have a time of praise, we're all going to praise God. And the first prayer, pr- first prayer is brilliant, you know, praise God for the flowers and the sun and it's great. And the second person says, yes, we praise you God that Jesus died on the cross, we thank you for that Lord. And then it gets a bit funny, well I think it does, because it gets to, thank you God, and by the way, um, Aunt Flo, she's ill, and can you just bless so-and-so in the church, and they need healing, and, and Lord, could I do some extra money, because I'm in a real financial problem. That's not praise. Well, I don't think it is. Maybe I'm a bit wrong. I'm a bit funny sometimes. But praise, we should be praising God, thanking God for the things he's done. Now I'm going to put you on the spot now actually, because um, I'll get a bit fried up here on my own. I'm just going to ask one or two people just to stand up. Come here, because I've got this microphone here, you see. If you just come forward, just one or two people, come here and say to everybody why you would want to praise God. What has God done in your life at his present way back, what has God done in your life that you'd want to praise God? If you just want to two, if you just stand up, please. Please, somebody? Just come here and say what it is so they can get it on the mic. Right, thank God that he's uh, brought me out of darkness into light. And when I was a rebellious young person, 
um, I came face to face with him and changed my life. Thank you. Brilliant. Excellent. Right, next. I don't mind three. Three more than Mary is brilliant. Come on. Well, that's what I was saying, really. I just want to thank God that um, he saved me when I was um, really at my lowest point. And that he saved my family too. And although they're not walking with God, I believe they are. Right, excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Come on, Jack. Very similar, but he saved me when I didn't really think I needed to be saved. So I'm quite alright doing what I was doing. But I just want to praise him because I've got a new life in the Lord and I'm never going to die. Never going to, oh my body's going to die, but my spirit's never going to die because of the Lord. Brilliant, excellent. Come on Dave. I just want to praise him because he set me free by the power of his Holy Spirit and by his outstretched right hand. Brilliant, excellent. Go on, keep coming, I don't mind. Saves me talking. I want to praise him for a fantastic family he's Brilliant, thank you. Yeah. Right. Excellent, yeah. There's so much we can praise God for. I want to praise God the fact that I had a great holiday. And because I'd forgotten all my books to take down with it, I wasn't Heather was saying to me, you weren't walking around the streets, I had you all to myself and it was great as a family. So I want to praise God that I forgot my books and I came back panicking and thinking, what am I going to do in two days? So I just want to praise him for that, so that's good anyway. And we can thank him that we've got freedom in this country. We can praise him for the sun, we can praise him for the rain, we can praise him that we have difficult times, that we can learn through it and that he speaks to us. There's so much we can praise God for. So when it comes to praising God, why can't we just praise God? For who he is and what he's done. Okay, number two. In verse seven. Uh, Nehemiah confesses to God. He confesses to God the wrongs that he's done. The sins that he's done. That's why it's so important for us to keep short accounts with God. We need to be coming to God regularly and confessing the wrongs that we've done to him. Our sins. Bringing our sins before him. Actually, Nehemiah goes one step further, which I struggle with a little bit. Not quite sure. But he actually says, he doesn't just say, I have sinned. He says, we have sinned. He brings the whole nation of Israel to God. And uh, maybe that's something we should do as uh, church leaders and things. We should be bringing the sins of the church. I don't know. Um, I've never really heard about that, but it's just something that struck me while I was reading that. So, I don't know. Question. Anyway, number three. Nehemiah then argues his case. And this is why I asked you to uh, get your promises. He argues his promise. I'm just going to read from verse... um, Verse 8, Nehemiah chapter 1, it says this. Remember the instruction, instruction you gave to your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are in the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Fantastic. Can somebody just give me a drink of water, please? Great, thanks. So, I don't know why, but all the way through the Bible, people argue with God and say, Don't forget, God, you promised this. And don't forget, you promised that. And uh, I think it's uh, God's way. Thanks very much. I think it's God's way of um, getting us to read our Bible so we remember the promises, to be honest. But... 
Maybe so. So maybe we should be coming to God and saying, look God, in your word, you said, if we ask, we will receive. So where is it? Maybe we should go up to God and say, hey, we've had lots of prophecies in our church. And like Moana came and said, we need to be equipped. Well, are you going to equip us then? Maybe we should go up to him and say, well, a few years ago, somebody came to our church and they prophesied that within three years, our church will look completely different. It'll be a church never seen, we've never seen it before. Well, actually, we've got six months to go before that three years is up. And uh, it looks, okay, some new faces here and there. But it looks pretty much the same. I don't see much of a difference. I wouldn't say it was unrecognisable. So what's happening, God? So maybe we should be doing that and arguing with God, wrestling with God a bit more. Because these are the things that he has promised. Anyway, uh, number four. Uh, In verse 10, Nehemiah reminds God that we are his people. And we need to remember that as well. We need to tell God that we're his people. We're his chosen ones. What are you doing about it? How are you going to use me? How are you going to use us? If, we're, if you've chosen us, what are you chosen us for? But you also need to remember that God, that Jesus didn't just die on the cross for us. He died on the cross for the whole world. And that includes your next door neighbour. That includes the person you work with that gets right up your nose. That includes all the people that live in Doncaster. Number five, and uh, actually I don't think this bit's in uh, Nehemiah, but I'm sure he did it. <coughs> so um, <coughs> We need to ask God to show us, tell us how we need to be rebuilding. Right? He must have asked God, how am I going to rebuild these walls if I can't see them? Whatever, give me the energy, give me the power to do that. And he also must have listened to God to be able to do it. Okay? So, who was this Nehemiah? This great man of prayer. This guy that was so passionate for God. This guy that was so passionate for Jerusalem. Who was he? Well, he was a cupbearer. That's what he was. He was a cupbearer. Now, when I read that in verse 11, that Nehemiah said that I was a cupbearer for the king, that word was jumped out at me. Because I thought, if I was way back then, writing this, okay, I'd be writing, I am the cupbearer to the king. So obviously, Nehemiah's priorities must have changed a bit. Okay, he may have well been the cupbearer to the king, but first and foremost, his main job now was to do the will of God and to do whatever God told him to do. That was his main job. He was on a mission. Now one more thing that I really want to point out about Nehemiah. He wasn't all mouth and no action. You see, so many Christians I meet believe that once they've prayed for something, once they've asked God to give them something or to do something, they've passed the buck. That's all God's situation now. Yeah, God's going to deal with it. So they ain't got to worry about it anymore. But so often, God wants us to be the answers to our own prayers. So if that's true, and if we really want our church to grow, if we want our church to expand and do great things, then what are we doing about it? And because of Nehemiah's faith, he instantly saw amazing things happen. 
Okay, he may have been absolutely terrified to speak to the king. Now he may have been saddened about the walls of Jericho and that's why he looked sad before the king but I think part of it as well was he's plucking up the courage to speak to the king and he was thinking what do I say when's the best time to do it oh no and all these things but because he had faith in God he plucked up the courage he had faith that God was with him he asked the king to leave for Jerusalem and the king said yeah alright then and because he saw that, he was greatly encouraged. He saw the power of God working in just, okay, we say a small thing, but maybe it was a greater thing, but he was encouraged by that. And so he saw amazing things happening in Jerusalem, even more amazing things, and he was able to do even greater things than he even imagined he could do, ever do, while he was out there as well. He just didn't think these things could happen, but he knew God was with him. And we need to remember the same thing. So that's it. That's Nehemiah. Is there anything that happened around 141 years ago that inspires us? Do we think, right, what happened in 1866 that we think, yes, that really inspires us to do something? No? Well, shame really. Well, I thought I'd quickly look on the internet and um, see what really inspires us. And there was a big list and I've just written down a few things. Okay, January the 6th. I haven't got many, honestly. All right, January the 6th. The Ottoman troops, they clashed with men of Moride, in, uh, the leader of Karam at St. Dumit in Libyan. The Ottomans were defeated. They are really... No, okay, maybe not, okay. Okay, 1866, January the 12th, the Royal Aeronautical Society was formed in London. Yeah, 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 good more thing there. Yeah, it's close to home, isn't it? Yes, yeah, very British. Okay, February the 13th was the first daylight bank robbery ever recorded in the United States history during peacetime. Apparently, it was considered the first bank robbery ever by Jesse James and his gang. How's that? Okay, March 27th. Very important for us guys. March 27th, in, um, 1866. Remember this, guys. Andrew Rankin, or Rankin. I suppose it's where we get the word rank from, I suppose. Andrew Rankin. He patents the urinal. Okay, May the 2nd is the Battle of Gallier, Gallio. Uh, Peruvian defenders fight off the Spanish fleet. Come on, get a bit excited, come on. Right, last one, of course, 1866. We should all know this one because it was the Great Fire. And uh, 2,500 homes were destroyed. Do you remember that one, the Great Fire of Quebec? <laughs> there wasn't much there, was there, actually? But, but actually, three years earlier, or later, depending on which side you're looking at, <coughs> In 1869, something momentous did happen. And hundreds of people are really passionate about it. And I know this because it's on the news. Well, it was a few weeks ago. Can anybody know what it is? 1869, something happened for the first time. And people are passionate about it today. Obviously not. And I'm not really passionate about it either, to be honest. But apparently, it's when the Cutty-Sark first set sail. And because of the fire that we've just had, hundreds and hundreds of people are passionate to have it once again restored and rebuilt to its former glory. And I thought to myself, well, 
I thought to myself, if so many people are passionate, so passionate, that they want that boat restored and rebuilt to its former glory, no matter what the cost is, how much more so should we be more passionate in wanting our church restored and rebuilt in this nation, let alone in this town? Okay, so say the Katisaki is restored, it's rebuilt to its former glory. And millions of people come from all over the world to come and look at it once again. And they go, wow, what a fantastic boat this is. So what? The Katisaki was not built in the first place for people to look at it. It wasn't there to be a museum piece. It was built to sail the seas. It was built to take, to export wines and beers and to import tea. That was its main job. God did not build the church in order that millions of people would flock from all over the world and look at our great cathedrals and say, wow, aren't they nice? He didn't build the church in order that people come running to us and say, aren't you really nice people? That's not the point of building the church. He built the church in order that we would worship Him. That we would obey Him. He built the church that we would show the power of God in our lives, in our nations. He built the church that we would fulfill the Great Commission. Are we really passionate for God? Are we really? Do we really want to see God's power once more in our nation, in our town? Do we want to see God's power working through our lives, affecting people in Doncaster? Do we want to see the church being rebuilt and restored in the 21st century? And and people coming back to God those Christians that had fallen away them coming back to God being drawn to God and worshipping Him once again with power and zeal do we want to see people that have never known Jesus never met Jesus coming to meet Him for the first time do we really, really want that? I took my kids to Sandal Park um, a couple of weeks ago and I was they was running around and doing their bit for Britain on the apparatus. And I sat there, because I, I don't play on swings and stuff. You know, so I watched them. And I um, started looking around. And uh, I saw dads drinking cans of beer, pushing their kids on a swing. I saw a group of ten-year-olds sitting on one of the apparatus all over this fag. I saw mums swearing at their kids. I saw groups of kids chucking loads of rubbish bikes and stuff in the lake. And I saw another gang of lads who were fishing, being attacked by another gang of lads, lads, not lads, lads, that were smashing up all their fishing equipment. And I thought to myself, how did their lives get so ruined? How did their lives get so destroyed that they end up being like this? And a voice came to me, and it said, but Malcolm... People have always done this. Even our grandfather's days, people were like this. And my answer was, yeah, but I wasn't around in my grandparents' days, so I couldn't do anything about that. But I'm here today, and surely I can do something about these people. But what can I do? That was my question. Do we have a broken heart for Doncaster? 
Do we long for people of Doncaster, their lives to be restored and rebuilt to how it should be? See, the only way to break into people's heart is not by clever schemes. It's by the power of God. And the only way that we're going to see the power of God demonstrated in Doncaster is by prayer. And that's it. Now I'm going to stop there. That's it. And uh, if you need to go, I'll ask you to go. There's some tea and coffee and that. But I'm going to ask if uh, people want to respond to that. Because I think it's important, uh, like Moena said, if this is going to be a church that's built on prayer and prophecy, then we need to pray. And uh, so, I thought it would be really good if we were to pray together as Nehemiah prayed. So I'm going to ask us all, to, first of all, we're going to spend some time just praising God. And then we're going to confess to God. And then we're going to really argue with God. We're going to wrestle with God. Hey, where's that big church you promised? What happened to these hundred people? Where happened to these pillars? What happened to these, this church we weren't going to recognise? You, and you promised in your Bible. Well, you know what it is because you've got your promises. And then we're going to ask God how he wants us to build his church. And then we're going to do really something really scary. Really, really scary. I'm going to ask us to um, just sit in silence and listen to God. And the only time I want you to speak then is by coming at the front and saying what you feel, feel God's saying to you. And then after that, at the end, we're just going to ask God to pour down his Holy Spirit because if we're going to do the task that he's asked us to do, I know we can't do it on our own. We need his power. And we're going to ask for him to demonstrate his power in our lives and to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Is that okay? Happy with that? No? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Right, so, if you want to stand or sit, I don't care, you stand and sit, I'm going to, we're going to have a time, I'm going to ask us, we're going to praise God, but I'm going to ask us just to, to start off with, just individuals, just pray out, just to praise God, whatever you want to praise God for, so I'll start off, Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for being a fantastic God, I want to be a, a God that uh, prepares today, when I thought that everything was going to go wrong, I want to be, thank you, God, that you're there with us, holding our hands, and I just want to praise you, Lord, because, um, you're a God of surprises and you're brilliant. Just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord, you're the God who brings light and revelation to our hearts. You bring conviction and strength to repent and to turn away from those things which are not helpful or helpful. Thank you. You've called us to your plans and your purpose. And we need to do those things that you've called us to do because you've your power and work in us. Yeah. Fashions come and go. You don't change. What you say never changes. You are faithful to your words and to your promises. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Praise your Lord on the rock on which we stand. Yes. Stand with enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.